Mm -hmm. I'm Junior Francis and welcome to the History of LA SCIA one-on-one sessions. This series celebrates the SCIA Rocksteady and vintage reggae scenes in Southern California and beyond through insightful conversation with legends and modern day players, including those behind the scenes. And as is the usual, a lot of people are working behind the scenes. So I want to say thank you, whether you watch us on YouTube or listen as a podcast episode. Thanks for your support and your continued support. And please, at every given occasion, tell your friends to watch. Invite your friends and your relatives to. Our guests today are two accomplished musicians who started their career in the popular LA bass, the award-winning Skiafro Cuban Jazz Ensemble, Yeskia. Did I say that right, sir? Yeah. Yes, nice, nice. All right. Mm -hmm. So drummer percussionist David uh, Frido Ortiz and saxophonist and composer. No, wait a minute. Did I, did I say David David Ortiz? Yes. I, li I like my name, David Fredo Ortiz. <laughs> David Fredo. That's, that's my new, that's my new. Uh, <laughs> All right, so your, your middle name is, is David. No, no. So I'm Fredo Ortiz. I know, but I'm, you said your middle name. My, my middle name is Rafael. And your middle name, right? Just call, just, just call me Ralph. <laughs> and um saxophonist and composer david david can you see your last name so if not i've known you forever david urkiri okay all yeah. right sir i want to welcome you both you both are from you. montebello i'm from montebello i'm uh -huh. from Gar gardena california okay yeah because so i if I'm not mistaken, I think Montebello means beautiful uh, women. I did some research. No, I'm just kidding. Beautiful mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can say that we don't get knocked out. <laughs> and you're from Gardena, right? That's right. So my first question to you, gentlemen, about uh, tell us about your family, family background. I'm quite sure you have friends and relatives who want to know something about you. Your parents are alive. Let's start with uh, David. Are your parents alive? Uh just my father at this point. My mom mm. uh, passed away in 2003. So, uh -huh. quite early, man. Yeah, she was mm. she was young. Yeah. How old was she? Uh, 48. Oh, still a baby. Yeah. Ah. Oh. It's kind of a tragic mm. thing, but. Right, right, so right. So was life. Mm -hmm. So you've been raising yourself with the help of good family members. You've yeah. done magnificently well. You went to UCLA. I went to USC. USC, that's close. Uh -huh. yeah. But, but she, she, uh, you know, saw me graduate. Yeah, man, nice. and everything. So, uh -huh. you know, she was really supportive of uh, me and and my musical endeavors. And mm. really, the bands. I mean, we used to practice at my house, and she, uh, she tolerated. Supportive. Yeah, she tolerated us because we were pretty bad in the beginning. I mean, we used to practice all the time and go mm. till late at night. And she was really cool. And uh -huh. you know. so you did music in high school. Uh, yeah, I was in marching band uh with fredo we went to high school together so uh we were in marching band together and like the school mm -hmm. jazz band you know and then uh started playing in bands outside of school and kind of mm -hmm. went into uh got heavy into music and i actually went to college as an engineering student because we went to an engineering high school both me and fredo mm -hmm. and uh you know we ended up being musicians which is kind of funny so we, we <laughs> i ended up going to the school of music once i was already at usc and then i graduated from there brothers and sisters yeah i have one older brother and one younger sister how your dad and your family feels about your accomplishment your musical accomplishment uh they're really happy you know they're mm -hmm. very proud of me they've all they've always been really supportive 
you know, and, and I definitely could not have done it without them and their support, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been it's been good. Especially with the loss of your mom at such a young age. So, Frida, how about you, sir? Gardena. Uh, my, uh, mm-hmm. From Gardena, California. My parents bought this house that I'm in, this garage, in 1973. I don't know, like 20 grand or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm still living here with, uh, with my daughter and her mom. And um, that my parents are not around anymore. My dad passed in 2010 and my mom in 2015. My daughter was born in 2015, same year my mom passed. Mm, one but, generation out and one comes yeah. in. Yeah, I saw I saw that as the give and take of life, mm-hmm. you know. Um, now, as uh, and sisters, I had one older half brother who's not no longer with us, and he was a mm-hmm. Hammond organ player. So he was a musician. I used to go watch him play with the the Chicano wedding bands in the city of L.A. and Compton and all around. Go, go, and I'd sit behind the drummer. So I guess I was getting that exposure at a young age, you know, watching mm-hmm. him. Watching him load up a, a Leslie and a B3 in the back of a pickup truck. Mm. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, at this point, I would never try to separate you guys, especially since you guys have been together since high school. <laughs> yeah. In addition right. to playing in the bands together. Yeah. I actually knew uh, David's uh, older brother. We were the same year in high school. Uh, yeah. and, and he was bragging about his brother. He's like, my brother's going to come in and mm-hmm. kick some butt, man. I was like, all right, let's check your brother out. You know? <laughs> yeah, because I met Fredo through my brother before I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm a year younger than him, so I met him when I was I, I, I would go to I would go to your house, right, and just yeah. go kick it. And well, so at home. one point, you lived, you, you lived in Montebello. Me? No. So I my mother was my bus to school, and since I was, I mean, since kindergarten, she was a teacher and she worked in the Rancho School District in Pico mm-hmm. Rivera and that <clears throat> that part of LA. So she would she was she would drive to work. So she was my bus. She dropped me off. We used somebody else's address. And so I <laughs> I didn't know what it was living in Gardena, going to school around here. I just knew my friends around my block. And mm-hmm. the rest the rest of my friends were thirty miles east. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Well, since you're talking, Fredo, at what point in your life did you pick up uh first musical instrument? Ah, man. I mean, my dad had an acoustic guitar in the house and we had a piano. So I I guess I was already kind of pulling on strings and tickling ivories, you know, at a young age. Um, I don't know when drums came into play, but my uncle who was uh, on my dad's side, who was a saxophone player in the Mm -hmm. army, he he bought me my first Toys R Us drum set. And it was made of paper, so it lasted me about a week. And I think that's when my parents kind of figured that I yeah, might, I might mean business. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, David? I started playing sax when I was ten in the school band. You know, <laughs> I was in uh, fifth grade, and uh, I've always loved the saxophone since I was a kid. My grandfather was into jazz music, mm-hmm. so I grew up listening to jazz and saxophone players, and I always loved the sound of it. And so when uh, band came around, you know, you can choose a class, and I wanted to be in band, and I said, you know, I'm gonna play saxophone. So, so you never tried the trombone. Uh, you never tried playing the piano. A uh, piano, a little bit. My aunt had a piano, mm-hmm. and so when we'd go to visit her house, you know, I'd I'd play it a little bit, kind of for fun. You know, nothing serious. I never took lessons or anything. You know, just mm-hmm. kind of would tinkle around on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I would try to read the music because I learned how to read music with saxophone. So I would, 
you know, try to pick out melodies and stuff. And is there a difference when you learn with saxophone as opposed to learn with a drum or perhaps trombone? I keep, you know, Dan Jomen is always in my head, but when I think music. Uh, reading, yeah. reading music a little bit because saxophone is in what they call treble clef. So it's a little higher. And like, say, trombone is in what they call bass clef, which is a lower pitch. And piano has both clefs. Uh, so, yeah, I just kind of stuck to the treble clef side because that's what I could read. <laughs> And when she had books and I would try to, you know, pick mm -hmm. out the melodies. But, you know, mainly it was sax. I mean, I was just really into saxophone. Mm -hmm. you know. Let's talk about Jeska. You both uh, work with Jeska for a significant number of years. Tell, tell, tell us about the formation. Were you there from the onset, the very beginning? Yeah. Well, I so, was. Fred, Fredo, Fredo came in later. Mm -hmm. The story of Jeska is that they had, at our high school, they had a, a talent show. Mm -hmm. And myself and a couple other friends kind of put a band together to be in the talent show. And at this point, I had never listened to ska music at all. I, uh, the, the bass player and the drummer mm -hmm. said, let's play uh, Mirror in the Bathroom from English Beat. And also, this is ska from Bad Manners. And that was the first time I ever heard ska. You know, I was into all kinds of other music before that. And so, you know, we said, okay, and we started practicing we used to practice every week the drummers um dad was also like a drummer he had a band so we could practice at his house and uh you know we needed a name and i came up with the name yeska from watching a cheech and chong movie <laughs> there's that scene where the van is driving away and the back says yeska but with a c and so i said that's the name yeska but with a k for ska music and what's this what's the spelling that you saw y-e-s-c-a Oh, it was yeah, on the like, license plate of the. Eh, because I just read tonight, you know, in preparing for this, uh, the, the interview that Yeska means ganja, where some American word. I mean, yeah, that's in English word. Means weed. Yeah, it's Mariwan. like slang. Like it's like a Mexican slang. Ah, so that's not where the name came from because you look so straight like you never touch. You don't even know what weed is. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I've never done it, but seriously, <laughs> but I'm not a smoker. But uh, well, you know, you know we wanted a name. No one cares. Yeah, I mean, anymore. no, but seriously, I'm like, I'm telling the truth. Mm -hmm. But so, uh, like, we wanted a name with Ska in it. Mm. And so when I saw, you know, there's a bunch of bands with the name Ska, you know, Scatolites, you know, stuff like that. So when I saw that word, I said, we just changed the C to a K and we were all Mexican kids. <laughs> and we thought it was funny, you know, mm -hmm. and the name just kind of stuck. And that was the name. So we... We played the talent show, and Fredo was in another band in the talent show yeah. called The Villains, right? Yep. Yeah, and then uh, Yeska ended up winning the talent show. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, after that, we kind of would practice every now and then, and we tried to learn songs. And then, um, yeah, and then some people stayed, <clears throat> and then uh, we changed a few members. You know, we were so young. I mean, that, mm -hmm. I was like, I think, uh, 14. Mm-hmm when that happened. And so that's when we started the band. I mean, I was 14 and then Fredo came in a couple years later, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would just yeah. come to, I would come to your house to kick it, but then all of a sudden I would come with Walter and then just watch you guys rehearse. And mm -hmm. I and I don't remember how it led to that, but one day you were like, hey, you got, oh, we were all, we were all making a big deal over Anton's woodblock. We're like, he's got percussion. We're like, oh man, blowing our minds. We're like, percussion. You know, and they're like, don't you have timbales? 
at your house? I'm like, yeah, they're sitting under the bed. <laughs> like, bring up, bring up the next rehearsal. Like, check it out. That kind of, that kind of. I was like, all right. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was just into playing music, and I, and I was a part of that. The band that came out of the high, the punk band that I was in with, at the high school, we also continued playing outside of high school, you know, mm-hmm. as well as Yeska. But then I would yeah. come to Yeska rehearsals, and then somehow, you know. Yeah, because we were all friends in high school, like in the in the marching band. So mm-hmm. that's kind of, I mean, we would see each other like all the time, but, even but, though we we're in. What a record! Bands. Can you say what high school? Because you guys are both accomplished musicians, and you're 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 the pride and joy of your school. So I think you should say the name of the school, and hopefully we can use this to inspire some youngsters, you know, sure. to do more than play music and computer, you know, play with real instruments. I'm not yeah. not in computer. But um, yeah, was Don I, I Bosco, Don yeah. Bosco Technical Institute. But that's not the place you guys are. That's <laughs> that's that's up. the name of the high school. It was in yeah, right, yeah. But, it was uh, like an engineering uh, high school, you know, mm-hmm. college for middle class kids, <laughs> rich kids, the middle. I, I, tra- I tried to fail. I tried to fail the entry exam because I didn't want to go to a private <laughs> Catholic school because I, I had only gone to to to, to a public school. Deliberate? Are you joking? What's that? Are you joking? Or are you serious? No, I'm serious. I had gone to, to public school up until high school. And then I, I, we had the Scantrons, which has the little bubbles, A, B, and C. And I think I filled in all the C's all the way down. <laughs> I, I wanted to sabotage the fact that I was going to get accepted to the school. And, you know, they probably saw that we can afford the monthly tuition and said, yeah, let them in. <laughs> nice. You know? Right. No regrets. No, right. No regrets. No, it's, it's, it, it's a great school. I mean, we all, yes, man. you know, a lot, a lot of knuckleheads, but a lot of us knuckleheads, uh, you know, made it out, you know, with a yes. good education yeah. and good heads on our shoulders. And I mean, I, I just recently saw somebody from my year who was the principal of Car- Garfield high school and their, his, his, uh, school band, the mariachi band opened up for Los Lobos the other day, you know, but that was, you know, I was sitting down the guy looked at me, he's like, Bredo. I'm like, like Andreas, he's like, "What's up, man?" He's like, "I'm the principal." I was like, "Oh man!" Like, kind of, <laughs> kind of blew my mind, you know. Like, to see, you know, to see your peers, you know, yeah, succeed, you know, mm-hmm. in, in many good ways, you know. Yeah, and, was, and I get the feeling really mutual. Good... mutual. He's also proud of you. For see sure. you on stage. Mm-hmm. Well, they've all watched our career. Those of us that were yes well. ended up being musicians, you know, and mm-hmm. doing, you know, like Dave did a lot of big things, and I had my own path, and you know, they, they were seeing us, and of course, like through. Uh, social media you know they were watching us kind of grow you know through the years david we're rudely step on you you were going to say something oh i was going to say i mean i'm glad i went to that high school i mean i wouldn't have met all the guys that i did and friends and that's how i kind of got into music was being in that high school yeah mm-hmm. you know and uh yeah definitely yeah. glad i went there it was a great school it was really good mm-hmm. uh, like college prep prepared me for college and uh yeah wonderful cool. uh Tell us uh, about the core members of uh, Yeska when it first formed. What year was that now? year for the sake of? 92. 92. And what's 92. the name of high school again? Don Bosco Technical Institute. There you go. They're Don Bosco? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's you. Uh-huh. And so the school at that is still time... in existence, right? What's that? Mm-hmm. The school is still in existence. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's still there. It's are an all-boys Catholic high school. Are you seeing great musicians who are inclined to play... Yeah, rock steady and reggae. <laughs> you laugh. I mean, like, I wonder if we're we're like the only 
generation of that, that would be extremely that sad. actually came out of you know that bands and musicians that came out of that school because when you guys have put the telephone like, going back to recruit uh, musicians to follow in your footsteps and carry on yeah. uh, but it's not too late mm -hmm. I, I went back a friend of mine uh, asked me to go back and i did a he did an interview with me in front of the kids in the band room my uh, friend mike sandoval like he just went in and did it and so it was kind of it was a trip to walk back into that band room you know and and then see all these pimple-faced kids, you know. Because <laughs> me and Alfredo, me and Fredo were like the jokesters kind of of the band, in the mm. marching band, and we used to get each other in trouble, making each other laugh. <laughs> we, were, you know, we had to be in tight formation, and then you know, the band director would be telling something to Fredo because mm. he was talking, and then I would turn around and make funny faces, and we used to get in trouble all the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even gonna say. It. Yeah, but so we used we used to mess around a lot, you know. And the, so at that time, like the another guy in the drum line was the original drummer, and then uh, Ray the Diaz. tuba player, yeah, Ray Diaz, the tuba player in the band in the school marching band was the bass player, which is Pablo Tovar, Pablo. Um, who went on to make another band later uh, called Big Dog Small Fence, who was kind of in the ska scene for a little bit. And then um, I'm trying to think who else was it. Um, Daniel Lopez was the original trombone player. Um, Leonard, right? Leonard played keyboard. Leonard Mabasa, right? Yep. He played keyboards. And then um, wow, so long ago. <laughs> I think that's everybody. That but it. most of everybody didn't continue in music. You know, they they went into their own careers and did whatever else they did. And they all continued in music. No, they did not. Oh, they did not. Oh. No. Mm. Because as we got older, a lot of the people who were kind of in the band, like the trombone player went to the army, you know, so we didn't see him for years. And then um, the other, uh, the original drummer, you know, he was like working full time. He went, he went to, because uh, our high school had a five-year program and a four-year program. So you can go to high school, like a regular high school. Or you can do five years and then you go in the college track. So like he ended up like staying five years and then straight into working after that. And, you know, so we kind of everyone started going their separate ways, you know. And then so my actually but my senior year, Fredo had, was already out of high school. Um, the piano player at the time, who was Walter Miranda, he, he, he was playing trumpet in the high school band, but he also played piano. Uh, but he actually was playing drums at the time <laughs> in the band. So we were just, everybody was switching instruments. You know, we needed a drummer. He says, I can kind of play drums. So mm -hmm. he played drums. He was the trumpet player in the, in the high school band. Um, so he played drums and then he recruited, he, he graduated. He was like three years ahead of me, I think. So he went to Pasadena City College and met other musicians. So that's when he got more musicians into the band who were way above kind of my level. You know, I was like a high school kid. And these guys, you know, they went to like the L.A. County High School of the Arts, you know, which was Ulysses Vella, which was the saxophone player, the other saxophone player in the band. He played tenor sax. I played alto sax. Um, Seth Zwirling, which was the trumpet player. He also came from uh, that school and they met him at Pasadena City College. Um, trying to think who else came from there. Crunchy. Yeah. Crunchy uh, went to Crunchy. Okay, was he Luxo or was he Hamilton? Yeah, I think I think no, I think he may, might have went to Hamilton. Uh, Jose Espinosa, okay. who later went uh, and joined Ozo Motley later on. Same with 
Ulysses Bello, which is this other tenor player, he 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 ended up moving out to Ozomali as well. Kind of Yeska and Ozomali kind of almost had the same members for a while. Everybody yeah. was going in and out of the band, and Yeska had so many members coming in and out of the band. It's kind of hard to keep track because you know we're all so young, mm-hmm. and you know one guy goes to college, one guy gets a job, one guy doesn't want to play too much anymore. You know they're not really into music and. Those who were kind of serious about music stuck in the band in a way, or, or ended up in other bands, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that was kind of the formation of it. Mm-hmm. Formation. So how many uh, in the, the core? About uh, eight people? Did I count? Eight? Yeah, there was already eight. There was eight. always always at least eight. Mm-hmm. There were other times where there were more mm-hmm. people. You know, we had more brass players. You know, I think sometimes it was maybe ten mm-hmm. people on stage. Some of our earliest gigs at the Hong Kong Cafe uh, with the Steady Beat shows, you know, we had a lot of people on stage because that's when we had more horn players. And then, um, you know, that big band, satellite sound, eh? Yeah, it was a lot of of players. Mm -hmm. It was trumpet, trombone, uh, myself, and two other saxophone players. So it was like three (laughs) saxes, trumpet, trombone. So it's like five horns, Mm -hmm. drums, percussion, piano, guitar, you know, Drums, okay, bass, but, drums. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And well, bass. of course, you got to have drum. The timekeeping. Bass, yeah. Timekeeping, right. Timekeeping is important. So why do you choose Latin ska as opposed to straight ska um, uh, like Scatterlights? Or you could have gone the way of, you know, punk, but you well, choose to go. It, it kind of ended up that way, not just kind of organically. I mm. mean, I don't think we said, let's make a Latin ska band. Right, because in the beginning, it had a lot to do with all those guys going to PCC and taking jazz classes and kind of learning that style. I mean, that's how it trickled down to me. I I was learning the knowledge of jazz through all of you guys, and all of us were just kind of absorbing it. And I think we kind of like in our homes, maybe my dad would always play Alma del Barrio on the weekends, you know. So I was, I grew up listening to Eddie Palmieri and all that stuff. So what. When you asked me to play timbales, I kind of had an idea mm-hmm. of what that drum did. It, even though I just wanted to play a drum set, but my dad had bought me congas and timbales, so it's like, so a lot of that was, you know, I like think a lot of us had that kind of draw to the Latin stuff. But yeah, that influence of jazz was coming mm. from that PCC. Yeah, and PCC. like, yeah, and the Latin thing, like, like he said, because when Fredo joined, he he brought all those percussion instruments. So we we, you know. I had listened to Latin music growing up too, but I didn't really know how it worked. I don't think any of us really knew how it worked, how it functioned like within a band and like exactly what to play and what all the instruments did together to make it happen. So I think we kind of just started learning about it all together, Mm -hmm. you know, and what worked. And like, I think I was really the only guy at that point that was really into ska music because, you know, I got into it when I was about 14. So by my senior year, I was like heavy into like traditional ska, the Scatolites and all the Jamaican ska. I kind of got out of the, the two-tone stuff. And so uh, I would bring songs in and I would say, hey, we should do a cover of this song. You know, let's play this song. We we weren't writing too much yet. And then so we kind of tried to put our own twist on it because Fredo had all the Latin percussion stuff. And then so that's how that element came in so it kind of became latin ska and then um we ended up trying to put like montuno rhythms which is like the piano the latin piano sounds onto the songs as well and that really made it more 
you know, Afro-Cuban. Mm-hmm. So then it, it kind of started becoming this thing where it was like our own sound. Right. You know, as opposed to like we're just playing covers because as mm-hmm. we started writing songs, we were writing it kind of for the instrumentation that we had. And like the sound, the kind of the things that we were getting into, you know, later on, like I really got into Latin jazz and started playing with a lot of like salsa bands in town. And I just got really heavy into it, you know. And so I would say, we should check this style out. You know, let's try to mix that with this. And like I would write a song mixing certain rhythms with it. And let's try this rhythm. And, you know, so that's kind of how the Latin ska yeah. thing happened. You know, it was kind mm-hmm. of an organic Interesting. thing. So Frida, um, what was the scene? I'm going to ask you about the question, but start with yeah. you. What was the LA scene uh, like at the time when you came in? So, I mean, out of high school, yeah, out of high school, into out of high school, like with with the so the band that I graduated with with the villains, like we had started playing backyard parties, you know, in the city of Whittier, Alhambra, which eventually yes, I did too. We were almost doing the same parties at one point, you know. But uh, that was that was my uh, exposure. I mean, the being on stage at the talent show that was my first exposure, and you know, and I, I think. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was, it was just, it just every year, every month, every, it just something new was introduced and a new situation, a new band or a new sound or a new, mm-hmm. a new instrument, you know, was being introduced. And just like with the SK, I'm just hanging out. And then all of a sudden, hey, come play percussion. All of a sudden, my mind is now focused on percussion. Thanks to my dad who bought these instruments. If he didn't buy them, I wouldn't have been immersed in that style of music, you know. So the scene, I mean, we were just, we were kids, you know, so we were discovering it until we started getting gigs. And I think I remember one backyard party in Montebello that we played that one porch, that slim, and it was kind of like one of our first gigs. Yeah. At least, at least yeah, you know. I don't know about what time, what time period. Oh, man, I don't even remember. But we played so many backyard parties. I mean, <laughs> apart, apart from the ska scene that we started playing, you know, because we wanted to play all the time. So there was only so many ska shows. Right around and then not to mention that we could get on because you know promoters don't want to have the same bands on every show right so it's not like we can play every ska show mm-hmm. you know i mean i had i had gotten into the scene around 92 you know i started going to the ska shows and stuff with some of the other friends in in like the bass player in the band pablo we would go to the ska shows all the time and i got really into it but like there wasn't enough for us in the sense like we wanted to keep playing so we got into like the east la like backyard party scene which was a whole thing back then in the 90s that you know we were playing a couple times a week you know a lot of practice getting a lot yeah. of practice. yeah so we were we were practicing every week we would have a day that we would practice as a group you know i, I don't remember what day of the week it was like a <clears> school <throat> night i remember that because my mom would say hey it's a school night it's enough <laughs> you know and uh you know, we'd have to, you know, not make so much racket during our breaks and screaming and joking around and saying bad words and, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And uh, so we would practice once a week and then we would do a couple shows, you know, on the weekends. Sometimes we had more than one in a day, you know, and, and we were pretty busy. I mean, for, especially for being kids, you know, mm-hmm. we were gigging yes. a lot. We were gigging a lot. So we got a lot of stage time, you know, or or you know, party time, I guess, because we were playing a bunch of parties. And then we, there was like this whole like um, underground 
scene two that we kind of got into, like the people would like rent a warehouse or something. And and they lofts. Would yeah, lofts, warehouses, downtown. And, and there was that scene and we were kind of in that scene too. And we were just trying to get into as many situations as possible because we loved music and we liked playing so much. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of oh. how we fit in in, in the mm-hmm. whole uh, Right, so Frida, early in your career, the opportunity of a lifetime came when you got to play with the Beastie Boys. Share some of right. that knowledge with us. Uh, that and was, when did that happen? I, I met Money Mark at a at a coffee shop. It was called the Nova Express Cafe across from Canners in Fairfax. What city? It, it was a cafe, and I, I was playing with the Where? villains. What city? Uh, in what, what's that? Uh, North Hollywood? The Fairfax Hollywood? District, right? Mm-hmm. Fairfax, Fairfax, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ca- Cantor's Diner, you know, Cantor's? Yes. So right across the street, there was a, a cafe called the Nova Express Cafe. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just, it was just another gig for me, you know, and somebody from a band that played after me had mentioned to Money Mark, the keyboardist of the Beastie Boys, that I had played percussion, because now by that time, Yeska had played so much around town that people saw, they didn't see me as a drum set player. They saw me as a uh, percussionist. You know, they're like, oh, that's the percussionist guy. He plays timbales, he plays congas. And I, I was still learning, I was still green, but I was, you know, I was, you know, earning my stripes, so to speak, you know, and bruising my hands and mm-hmm. until I finally learned how to play, you know, but that was, that was the moment of, you know, meeting somebody at the right place at the right time. They, right. the percussionist had left <clears throat> to another band and left the position open and they left it to Money Mark to find the guy. And then uh, maybe it was easy easy enough for him to be like, yeah, talk to that guy. And I'm like, I didn't even know who he was. <laughs> I was like, why is this guy bothering me? I just want to put my drums away. I got beer in the car. Like I just want to, because they didn't sell beer at this cafe. It was a cafe. Right, so you had to bring you on. <laughs> you know, but he wanted to help me with my yeah, drums. But <laughs> he, he was pretty persistent and like, you know, I, he was like, hey man, give me your number. I got a gig for you. I'm going to play downtown at this place called 50 bucks and 50 bucks was a place that yeska used to play yeah, frequently play all the time yeah you know and so it's like you know through yeska i i met a lot of people in that whole scene and the rock and espanol scene the chicano scene the just the whole la you know and but it, it now i'm now i'm meeting money mark and it turns out that he is also from gardena california <laughs> so, that, so that was a cool connection and he called me i played a gig with him and I told him that I was going to bring my drum set. And he's like, no, I'll bring your congas. And I had like kind of like the first starter series of congas that LP made. And like the heads eventually start withering away and peeling apart, you know, because they're, they're not real calfskin heads, you know, which I had to learn later on to buy. But I took those, I played, and he invited Mike D and MCA to the show. And they saw me play and said, yeah, sounds good. Uh, we leave uh, out of the country uh, in a couple months. Uh, do you have a passport? I said, uh, what's a passport? <laughs> All right. You know, and they're like, Where's oh. LAX? <laughs> you know, I, I hadn't been out of LA, man. You know, I don't, th- I don't think Yeska had even, maybe we've driven up to San Francisco by then, you know, or down to San Diego. Well, San Diego for sure, because we used to take those steady beat trips to the World right. Beat Center, you know? The World Beat Center. So that, 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 was, that was tour for me, you know? But now, but <laughs> right. now I jumped you know, to play for the Beasties, which I was a fan of, you know, I saw them when I was 13, 14 years old at the Greek theater with Run DMC. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I also followed them as they put records out as I was in high school. 
<laughs> you know, and that was probably like 92, 93, 94. Right. So you work with them, I think, from uh, from the research from 1996 to about 2009. So yeah, my first significant number. My first tour that was a month long was in Australia, and that was in '96, January '96. Mm. An and entire then, month in Australia. It was yeah. Well, it was probably about like three weeks in Australia, and then we did another two weeks in like Eastern Asia. So I got mm. to see, you know, Indonesia and Thailand and Japan, China. You know, I'm 20 years old. Like I didn't, I didn't know what to expect, paid. but I, I got, th I got thrown into the pool to swim, man, and. And getting pretty awesome. But but then I would I after all that was done, I came back home and it was back to, you know, my regular program, which was Yeska gigs. And mm -hmm. I mean, at the time they had to find somebody to replace me, you know, and I, I don't think, you know, we hadn't really been we've been replacing, you know, horn players. But I think that was the first time that, you know, they had to replace like a drummer, or percussionist, you know. It's like, mm -hmm. Yeah, because by that time you had moved over to the drum set. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because there is the other drummer wasn't working out, and so Fredo moved over to drum set, mm -hmm. and then I think we added different percussionists. Yeah. So when Fredo left, I mean, first we were all we were amazed. We're like, we can't believe it. Fredo got the gig with the Beastie Boys. That's awesome. That's the opportunity. Everybody was. Yeah. I mean, right? we, we were happy for him. I mean, it was awesome. You know, to mm -hmm. see you know you're coming up together playing music, and like one of your friends gets this huge gig. I mean, it was pretty awesome. You know, and then so when he left, we're like, okay, well, <clears throat> what do we do now? <laughs> we don't have a drummer, so we we used other drummers around town and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, from different bands that we kind of knew, and uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Frida, what are some of the highlights of working with the Beast Boy? Besides, lots of girls. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, let's make <laughs> and, and 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 the reality of that is like I I came to party, and the funny thing was is that. After the show was done, we went to the hotel and everybody went to their rooms and went to bed. And I was like, where are we going? Where are we going out? They're like, they're like, nah, man, get some sleep, man. We'll see you tomorrow. Oh, they were that strict and disciplined? Well, they, they, were in the, they were in their mid thirties. And I think over that hump, you know, of like, you know, starting families and like, kind of, you know, like I can, I can now and understand that, that age, you want to like start changing things in your life. Yeah, sorry. They disappointed you, but. Uh... <laughs> No, it it was it was an amazing thing because I mean that I mean at that level of touring, mm -hmm. you know the money that backs up that whole production. I mean there's twenty to thirty people in the whole production plus the band and you know. But the greatest thing was is that they didn't. It wasn't them three against everybody else. They included everybody. They wow. considered it a family, mm -hmm. and you know they they welcomed me and supported me and you know encouraged me. You know because it. I think they they knew that I was that young. I was I was twenty years old, so I hadn't even turned twenty one yet, you know. But um, I mean, yeah, it was it was it was pretty much the best experience. I mean, being able to see the world like open up my eyes at that point, you know, it's like okay. I'm, I'm getting in, paid. I'm getting paid. You know, getting paid. Yeah, exactly. I was getting a check coming home. I should have saved all that money. <laughs> Instead, I came back home and bought everybody a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, so David, let's talk about the uh, breaking up of Yeska. When did that happen and why? A two-part question. When and why? Um, I think I think it, it was around 2000, 2001. I, more like 2001. Mm -hmm. uh, by that time, Fredo had, had not played with the band anymore for a couple of years. Uh, like I said, you know, when we started, we were so young, right? Mm -hmm. and, and as... Anybody when they're young, we were teenagers, 
and people start growing apart. You know, we started becoming men. You know, we started becoming into our, our, our mid twenties, and people were going to school and getting. Some people were getting jobs and had responsibilities. So, we started kind of changing as people, for one. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there was uh, some differences as far as like what we wanted to do. Like I was really serious about music and being a musician. Like that's what I wanted to do 100%. But other people weren't in that same mind frame either. You know, some were, but some weren't. Some were there more kind of as a fun thing to party, to, to just hang out, just something to do that was fun, you know, as far as not so much being really serious in, into music and the band and, 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 you know, serious about their instruments per se. Not, not that people were slackers or anything like that, but I think it's just a different mindset. Different priorities. People were putting their priorities and right. uh, You know, where Dave, like I would say, when I say this about Dave was like, he had, he was managing the band. He was the one that was like, okay, I'm holding this thing together. Uh, Even though we're all there, we're all there to perform, but we never, we were, yeah. Like you said, like we were enjoying ourselves and not really, we didn't understand the business and he was learning the business. He was going to school for that too. You know? So it's like, Everybody was in a different mindset, and some yeah, of you guys got to have fun. I was working the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting paid and, and dealing with promoters and the clubs <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But so what ended up happening too was that I was getting into different scenes too, and 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 I was playing with different a whole different set of musicians. Yes, and kind of the level of of, of players that I was starting to play with, uh, I kind of wanted to be around that kind of mindset because they were well above me and I wanted to improve myself and get more into those scenes because I was learning a lot, you know, and I was kind of like, there's only so far I felt like I can go personally as being a leader of my own group, mm-hmm. you know, like my <clears throat> own band. And, and I wanted to play other music. I wanted to write other music. Cause by this point I was kind of like writing most of the music. Uh, the piano player wrote some of the music too but it was kind of the thing where i kind of felt like it was almost as far as i could take it musically you know like i wanted Mm. to play more latin jazz and more of that kind of thing and straight ahead jazz and stuff like that and yeska wasn't really the the place to do it Mm. i guess you can say and you know also there were some like business things that were going on that you know, I was handling all, all the business stuff, like I said, and that I was just kind of tired of dealing with it. <laughs> I guess you can say, you know, it gets kind of stressful. It's a lot of time that I was putting in every day on the phone and talking to her manager and the agent and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, where it was going, I just didn't want to do it anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just, there was a couple incidents that happened, and I just told everybody, you know what? I think this is the end of the band. Mm-hmm. You know, Fredo had already been out for like uh, what three years or something, two something years. Like that, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And and not that the lineup we had wasn't good or anything, because you know we had some great times. But it it was just that I kind of wanted to do different things. And, and Yeska also went to a point <laughs> where we started doing our own touring. We got into like in the jazz festival circuit. You know, we went to Europe. Fredo did those trips. You know, we went to Montreux Jazz Festival in 99. We went to Pori Jazz Festival in Finland. We had went to Cancun Jazz Festival. 
after Freda, we went to Montreal Jazz Festival. That was, probably, I think, the biggest show that Yeska played. I mean, it was just thousands and thousands of people in the street of Montreal. It was amazing. You know? And uh, so, yeah, I kind of wanted to get into different music. And it was hard keeping a band together and playing these other gigs that I was playing and trying to go where I wanted to go with still having a band in a way. Right. You know, so I just <clears throat> decided to, to end the group. Mm -hmm. you know, so I, what is your real proudest moment being a member of Yeska before its demise? The proudest moment of the band? No, your personal. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say doing those those jazz festivals. I mean, I, th I think the first time when we, we went as a band to Europe, you know, we played the Montreal Jazz Festival. And mm -hmm. for me, that was a huge deal. I mean, because... It was a big deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had always, you know, I was into jazz and you're, the Montreal Jazz Festival is like the pinnacle, right? Yeah. And I, when we got that gig, I mean, I couldn't believe it. You know, I hadn't been to Europe. I hadn't been over there ever in my life. And then, you know, here I am with our own band and I'm going to Montreal, you know, and, and it was like, an incredible feeling and then you look I'm looking at the roster of who else is playing and it was amazing because they're like all like these guys that were my heroes and like we're we're on the same building and next door there's so-and-so and you know that same trip you went to Finland and like Dave Sanborn played right before us and like these huge acts you know huge artists and for me like that was a, a, a really big accomplishment <laughs> that I thought that that you know the band got to that level you know mm -hmm. but but even at that point i think there was still some some uh, things that you know i kind of wanted the band to be in that scene i guess you can say and be in those circuits and those circles where i don't think everybody at the time was really that in into that either you know i think we, we were for me, we were just um, we were following <clears throat> the path, right? And wherever it would take us. I mean, my, for me, it would be the the time that we were we opened up for Tito Puente and Celia Cruz, mm -hmm. and so this was actually now at a time where we were being taken. Our music was taking us into this path, and not that we were t being taken away from the ska scene, but we weren't doing that many ska shows anymore. Mm -hmm. like, like we were doing these big jazz festivals, so we were now being looked at, you know, as quote unquote jazz band or Latin jazz band or something, which was awesome. But I, I yeah, and like many people like we were just doing it because it was happening. But a lot of people like where was everybody's like heart invested? But I, I think the investment was that we all got to play together and do what we do, you know, and go to see these places and go, you know, leave leave LA, you know, and yeah, and get to perform. And I mean that for me that was the biggest thing. I mean, the Beastie Boys was one thing, but I think I've always I always said to myself that I always wanted to do it with my friends, you know, I, all, all the hard work that I did, you know, from being young on up. was like, man, I wish I could be here with the guys that I laugh with, you know, and crack jokes with. And so any, any memorable moments with your, with your friends from Yeska, memorable moments that you can yeah, share with us. Yeah, you know. Memorable moments, I'm asking. Oh, memorable moments? Yeah, with your, your home is being a member of Yeska, not Bisco. Yeah, so no, many no, no, for, no for sure yeah no that's what i'm, I'm getting it's like I, I um my memorable moment was a one that we opened up a show 
it's a funny story. We were supposed to play on the main stage, but they put us out in front of the, the Universal Amphitheater for this one show. But it ended up being the best idea because they didn't let any of the audience into the into the auditorium yet. So there was like thousands of people right. out <laughs> in front. And we're on these crates, you know, out in front. Stuffed up, we're all, all tight, you know, yeah. all eight, nine, ten members all. And, but every everybody dug it. Everybody like, you know, it, it was, it was on, dancing you know? and stuff, yeah. You know, mm. so it was like the best exposure that we could have had. Yeah. By default. <laughs> By default. You know, we're like, well, we want to be on the main stage, man. <laughs> you guys could play out in front in a couple of boxes. You know? <clears throat> yeah. that, was, that, was, that was pretty, like. Yes, know. amazing, amazing. But I think, yeah. I think like, all those experiences mm -hmm. with Yeska really helped me later in life. And, like, we used to record a lot. A lot of those recordings were never really released. But we would record, i say, every couple months. There was a studio we would go out in, in West L.A. And, uh, you know, we would all use, like, we would get paid from a gig and say, let's go record. And we would just go into the studio. Everyone invested. Us, Everyone invested. Of, right. All of us together. And we would just record. Like, we would record the whole set. All our songs that we had, we would just record them. Mm -hmm. And then a couple months later, we would go in and we record again. And so, like, that was really good practice because it's not like so much now where people record individually. You know, we, we always wanted to record all together and kind of be on, on that. And what has become of those recordings? Uh, well, some of them got released, you know, uh, like El Mocoso mm. on the uh, okay. Disc Authentic. Some mm -hmm. of them became uh, what our first 7-inch uh, that we did, uh, Greyhound to Chiapas. And then that prepared us for when we did our first album, Scout for Cuban Jazz. We had already recorded with a, as a band so many times, and we were used to doing it. So it was a lot easier to do it as a band, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to when we recorded our first full length record, you know, because we recorded it really fast. I mean, we didn't have that like a big budget from the company that we were with. They were kind of like a small independent. And uh, I, I think they gave us two days of tracking and two days of mixing or something like that. Right. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. So we had two days to record the record. So we said, OK, we're going in. A couple takes and that's all we get so it was kind of like we came in we had to get down to business and so that really helped us in, the, in those that situation because we were so tight we had played before we had recorded before and like being a, able to get all that experience when we we're young i think for me it helped me now because that's a big part of what i do is now is recording sessions <clears throat> like i'm i got a lot of experience as a teenager <laughs> when like it mattered but it didn't matter as much as like when you're a pro you know we were just kind of doing it yeah. for fun you know we just had so much experience doing it by that time and, and yeah. a lot of bands don't get that experience either i mean that we had so and i think because you know we were at the level of that we were as young men you know people saw that in us so we were able to like yeah we all, i mean i we'd go in there thinking oh yeah cool studio but then like you know underneath it all it's like man i'm learning how to tune my drums i'm learning how you know, to, to do stuff in one to two takes, you know, where now that I ended up doing, you know, later on Beastie Boys and beyond, like I started getting more sessions and like, oh, percussion, bring your tambourine, bring this. I was like, I had an idea of what I needed to do. So that, yeah, for sure. That Like Dave said, it was nice, a, nice. good preparation for the yeah. future. So David, you are the enormous opportunity to meet a uh, couple of people. Uh, let's start with Pancho Sanchez. How that happened? Um, Larger than life figure, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was like my first um, 
touring gig like outside of Yeska. Like that mm. was like my first <laughs> gig, like real gig that I got uh, with an artist outside of, of the, my own band, you know, like outside of <laughs> us, you know. And that came about because when I was 18, I used to play at this place in East LA. Like it was my first daily gig, uh, this bar. It was like a small little jazz group that played like Latin jazz and straight ahead. And I used to play with them on Thursdays, I think, um, in East LA. And the club owner booked Poncho Sanchez to play one Friday night. In that small so, place. In that small place, right. And so I wanted to go check him out because I, I love Poncho Sanchez's music and, and I used to listen to his records and stuff. And so I wasn't even 21 yet. So I asked the club owner, can I come? And he's like, okay, well, the band I was playing with was going to open up, right? So I just brought, I brought my instrument. I actually didn't even play that night. I just brought my instrument so I can get in there <laughs> because I wasn't 21 yet and he let me in. And then I was able to see Poncho play. And I met the piano player at the time, the musical director, David Torres. And... I started taking lessons with him, uh, like arranging and writing lessons, because I really loved the sound that he got with that band. And it was like a similar instrumentation because he had three horns. Yes, I had three horns. And that sound that he would get, I wanted to learn how to do that so I can write like horn arrangements for Yeska. Mm. And so I started taking lessons with him. And so I would bring in like charts I did for Yeska and like stuff I was doing at the time when I was in school. And we became friends. And then a couple years down the road, uh, when I, one of my best friends, a trumpet player that I was going to school with, well, after we, we graduated, uh, his name is Serafina Ayulad, he got the gig playing trumpet. So I started going to gigs and hanging out because like, it was like one of my best friends got the gig. And same thing, like when Fredo got this gig, I was like, man, you got this great gig. Like, this is awesome. You know? And so I was hanging out and I met Poncho. And then like, I sat in once or twice, you know, and then one day I was at David Torres' house, the, the piano player, and he says, do you play Barry, like baritone saxophone? I said, yeah, I do. Uh, I actually started on Barry, and he says, yeah, you know, we record Barry in the studio, but I always wanted to have a Barry live in the band. And he's like, how would you feel about playing? I'm like, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. And he says, yeah, we have some gigs coming up in the summer, you know, that maybe we can add you on some gigs. I'm going to talk to Poncho about it. I said, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm in. You know, just let me know when, whatever I got. I'm clearing the schedule. I'm in. You know, I was like, Poncho Sanchez, I couldn't believe it, you know. And then so, uh, yeah, he gave me a day. You know, my first gig was like, charts, like music to read for all the songs, my own parts for the band that I was going to play. And then so I, I did the gig and Poncho loved the sound of the baritone because it was four horns now. And like the baritone saxophone and Latin music is like this whole sound that, you know, in like old mambo records and kind of stuff like that, that it adds a lot. And uh, he loved it. And he says, yeah, You're I in. want you to keep playing in the band. Well, he <laughs> says, you got a month probation. He says, if I'm going to give you these dates. <clears throat> but then he says, oh, we're going to Japan, but we already booked the tickets. So you can't go. And I was like, oh, man, like I missed it, like, you know, by a month. Right. So he says, but we get back. We got all these dates. You're on these dates for this month. If you do good, then I'll give you the gig. I said, OK. So that month passed. At the end of the month, he called me. He says, you know, you got the gig. You're in the band. And that led to like around 
wow. three three years or so with the band and I went all around the world with them and played all these jazz festivals and met all these jazz musicians that like again were my heroes and playing with with Poncho who I loved his music and I was a big learning experience mm-hmm. for me I bet to- touring at, at mm-hmm. and playing that music that I love so much and at that level mm-hmm. uh, while traveling <clears throat> and doing all that kind of stuff it was really good for me mm-hmm. you know I learned you also work extensive with war right I think you went on a tour with war yeah well um, I stopped playing with Boncho in around 2005 and then a couple years later I started playing with Lonnie Jordan who's the the founder of, of the band he's the keyboard player vocalist of war he had a jazz quartet in 2007 he had done a solo record so I I knew the bass player that was in the band and then so after the record came out they were going to do like some shows in town so he, they called me for that and then you know we got along really well and Lonnie liked my playing and then so I was playing in his quartet which he called the Wartet at the time <laughs> and it was a four-piece band it was saxophone Lonnie drums and bass so it was basically you know the guys in war the drummer bass player and Lonnie from war and then me um, yes. And then, yeah, but Yeska, I already stopped Yeska by that time, you know, like, so Yeska, I had stopped, uh, like, I think, like, I said, no, I don't so want to 2001, that like 2001, and then I started doing Punch in like 2003 or so, and then, anyway, so around 2007, I was playing with Lonnie Jordan, and then, you know, we went to Japan, and we did, like, a, a tour out there, and, you know, we did some other stuff in town, and some other short trips, and it was really cool, you know, because I had grown up listening to War since I was a kid. Of course. You know, I remember being, you know, my mom had this cool record collection, which I still have, and being like five years old looking at a war record, you know, and then here I was, I'm playing Play with this guy. Like, yeah, I'm playing with Lonnie Jordan. Well, mom must have been extremely proud. Well, she she had already passed by that point, but oh, okay. uh, she, she didn't get to see that. But yeah, mm. I was definitely like, it was a weird experience. Yeah. And, and I was thinking about her like when I first started playing with him. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, I played with Lonnie Jordan off and on throughout the times when he was in town, he would do shows. And then uh, a couple years later is when he asked me to join the band, you know. And he just called me up one day and he says, hey, you want to play in war? I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> and he says, okay, it was like a Monday or a Tuesday. He says, okay, cool. Uh, the gig is on Thursday. I'm like, is there a rehearsal? He says, no. <laughs> he says, here's where the gig is. I said, so what do I, what are, what are we going to play? He says, War's greatest hits. I'll see you at the gig. He hangs up. I was like, oh man. So I called my friend, the, the bass player, and I said, you know, I just got the gig. And he's like, are you kidding? He's like, no. He's calling me. I said, great. I said, what do I do? Like, there's no rehearsal. How do I, how am I going to know the show? I mean, this is insane, right? And he says, okay, there's a live record. Go check out this live record. Learn that, and you'll be fine. So I learned the live record in like, you know, two days. And then I was on stage with War, no rehearsal. I was really nervous because I was like, well, I of hope course. the parts are the same, you know. Mm-hmm. And I did well, and he says, cool, you're in the band. And I, nice. I ended up playing with him for like uh, a little over six years, I think, wow. with the band. Mm-hmm. And again, toured all around the world yes. with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Frida, I want to talk about Las Lobos. I know we talk about Oza Matley. You work with Las Lobos as well, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I well I well, well the history is kind of a crazy story but I, my dad's been playing the records in my house since I was little I think we've gone to see them perform a couple times you know 
through my young age. But in, in the same high school, the punk band that played the talent <laughs> show, uh, uh, Louis Pettis' son, Louis, LP3, went to the same high school and we met there too. And uh, so I was now, now that I befriended him and was hanging out and being at his house, I'd look on his wall and I'd see these, uh, these, you know, like platinum plaques or gold record plaques, you know, they say Los Lobos. I'm like, Oh, my dad has those records. He's like, well, that's my dad. I'm like, Oh, cool. You know, but then like, so now I'm like kind of in the mix and then he'd be like, Oh, my dad's playing. So we'd go to their shows locally. Right. So I've kind of been around them since I was 14, 15 years old, you know, and, and seeing them progress in life and through all their successes. And, you know, probably like that was around the time the Kiko album came out and, and everything beyond that. But um, I was familiar with the music, but I mean, fast forward to now, like I ran into them in Seattle. I was on a different gig and uh, ran into Caesar and his daughters on the street of Seattle. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're like, we're playing tonight. So I went and sat in and then, um, was that didn't mean you had your instruments, so you just yeah. I, I was just coming to hang out because I hadn't seen them, but by now that their family, they're you know second dads to me, they're my tios, my uncles, whatever. And um, uh, was uh, uh, Marco Marco from War, percussionist? Yeah, Marcos Reyes. Yeah, yeah, Marcos Reyes. He 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 was he was playing congas with Los Lobos, and Bugs Gonzalez was on the drums. So I just came in to hang out, and that night, you know, they're like, "Hey, Fredo's here. Come in on a song." So. I, would always come in and sit in on congas and that kind of rekindled our relationship and like hey what are you doing uh in a couple of days i'm like going home they're like ah come to uh come to san francisco we're doing bill graham's like anniversary and we don't have a, you know marcos is not coming i'm like all right cool so then that kind of started that ball rolling and then pandemic hit and then we had that year of nothing you know and before that i was playing with this band gogo bordello for the past five years you know, joined them in 2015. But um, after the pandemic, now the drummer had departed from the band and kind of left left the seat open. And I got a call March of 21 to sit in with them. And I was get ready, getting ready to bring my congas and, you know, be percussionist guy. And and they're like, no, the guys want you to bring your drums. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's a whole, for me, they're, they're two different the approaches are different uh, on percussion. I can be free and I don't really have to learn music. I do, but I, I can just express mm. myself drums. I have to learn parts. I have to learn breaks. I have to learn where the song ends, starts. And, you know, so it was a whole different beast for me, but it was an exciting time. And, you know, I, my parents went around, but I thought of them too, because, you know, I, yes. they had exposed me to them and, <clears throat> you know, and it was kind of a full circle thing. We're like, Oh, wow. I'm, I'm behind the drum set with these guys who are, seasoned accomplished musician grammy winners you know and it's like all right so you know another learning experience for me you know i think every band and every situation i've always entered has always been with good people good musicians and just like and they're all different they're all different in their own way and now i'm you know i kind of asked them i was like hey so what is this turning into they're like well we know you have your commitments with the other band i'm like but you guys are you guys are working right now so I, you know, I, I need the work. They're like, well, yeah, come on in. And I, and same thing, you know, maybe we had like two rehearsals, but their, their catalog is long, you know, deep, it's like, <laughs> deep man. And, and they, they, you know, to this day, they're like, Hey, you know, so-and-so. And I'm like, no, but I go straight to YouTube. I listen to it. I'm like, all right, let's try it. You know, <laughs> you know that, but yeah, no, I, I've, uh, uh, to uh, March. I mean, we started touring heavily in the late July and August of 2021. 
and man it's already wow. a year now you know mm -hmm. and still going and still working and they're going on uh celebrating their 50 50th anniversary next year mm -hmm. and um you know i think you know i kind of look at watching them as a young kid and going to their shows and listening to music as you know the preparation kind of preparation yeah. for that <laughs> classroom <laughs> right? but they, they they trusted me you know and i you know, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm ever the right sound for the people that I work for, but it ends up being that I, how, how I, how I uh, process music and performing and how I mm -hmm. you know, translate what I think their music should sound like with every group that I've played. It always, it always ended up being like, Oh, why don't you stick around? Like, okay, cool. Nice. That means you've done a wonderful job. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm about to introduce uh, my good friend and producer, Eric Kohler. But um, have you had the opportunity uh, to play with any Jamaican legends? Or back any of them? Me, when no. they're in Southern California? You, David? No, David, but I'm asking you. I, I oh, you're asking me? Not, no, I don't. Right, right, right. No. Mm. I haven't, no. Okay, well, that's my last question to you then. Uh, David, I know you have. What was that experience like, or the experiences? Because I think you've worked with quite a few of them, right? Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. Well, my I memory served me in. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the first one was Rico. Yes. When Rico came. I played with mm -hmm. him uh, two times, I think. Right. He came to town. Uh, Eric put, was put that show on. You guys put that show on, right? I believe. The Living Factory was the first one. And then Pomona. Yeah. And uh, like that was an incredible experience because it was the same thing. Like <laughs> all our other stories, mine and Fredo's, you know, I listened to Rico when I was in high school. You know, he's like on those specials records, you know, which was my kind of my first introduction to Scott and then listening to all his, you know, Rico and Reggae Land and all those songs that he had as, as a solo artist. <laughs> you know, I was a big fan. And playing with with Rico was a great experience, you know, great experience. And standing next to him in the section was really cool. I mean, it's it's something else when when you you listen to someone when you're a little from the time you're really young, and then you get to play with that same person. <clears throat> you know, it's it's kind of surreal. It's like a mind blowing experience. Like, I can't believe I'm standing next to this guy that I listened to for so many hours. Mm -hmm. You know, and. Uh, yeah, it was it was really cool. And the other one, Leonard Dillon, also, you know. Mm -hmm. And I used to love the Ethiopians in high school. I mean, I was big, huge fan. Have you, have you all grown them now? I wouldn't say I've outgrown well, any yeah. of that music. We gotta be careful. Word is <laughs> language is powerful. Was the same mean in the past? No, I'm saying I'm saying you know, during that time when I started mm -hmm. listening to ska, and I got into the traditional ska and the Jamaican sound. Mm -hmm. You know, they were one of my favorite groups. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, all the songs, you know, like Hong Kong Flu, I used to love that song. And just, you know, I used to listen to them all the time because I used to like the grooves that they would put on yes. the music, mm -hmm. which was kind of different than the other sounds that were going <clears throat> on at that time, mm -hmm. you know, and just the sound of that group and their harmonies and everything. So, you know, I still listen to ska and, and Jamaican music, you know, to this day, you know, yeah, I, I listen to all kinds of mm. styles. You know, I I think I have a big connection to Caribbean music for some mm. reason. You know, whether it's Jamaican, Cuban, you know, Puerto mm -hmm. Rican. It's just like I love all the that music from yes. that whole area. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all connected. 
it's Sorry. all connected. We keep talking. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's all it's all connected. You know, they're like oh yes, uh, yes, yes, they're like cousins. Yes, you know? yes, and some instances brothers. It's true, <laughs> right? Brothers, cousins, and you know, as you mentioned, Rico, he was back Africa, Cuba. Cuba and his parents took him to Jamaica, producer and um, executive producer. The, mind, the brain behind this. Uh, Gentlemen, Fredo, David, Eric, great to see you both. Really enjoyed this and really appreciate you guys making the time here. Um, I mean, really talk about two success stories and, and, and you two realizing your dreams, right? I mean, as far as, you know, uh, um, whether it's playing with Los Lobos, right? Fredo, and you, you meeting them at a young age. Um, you know, David, what you were talking about also even with, with, with Rico to, 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 to a lot of the Latin, you know, jazz artists that you've played with. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Congratulations to you both on all the, on all the success and hopefully you continue to find, uh, you know, the, the love and joy and in, in what you do there, which, which I'm sure you do. Um, I think the first time I saw Yeska was one of the steady beat shows at Las Palmas theater. I missed those. Uh, it's probably 94. Or ish or something like that, and it was great shows. Oh my really gosh! Yeah, those, those I, 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 if I'm not mistaken, because I've seen a flyer on on social media not too long ago, but it was one show. It was it was you guys, right? Yeska, uh, Jump with Joey, and I think Hepcat. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That was awesome. And, I mean, just talk about the musicianship <laughs> and showmanship and just. I mean, you know, three of the best to ever come out of this, 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 this scene. I mean, not, not just here in LA, but anywhere around the world. It was just, it was incredible. And, and... I remember that show. I mean, because those were two, my two favorite bands. Yeah. Yeah. Of the scene. Yeah. You know, Jump With Joy. I, I, I used to look up to that band, you know, because of their musicianship. I used to like their songs. I mean, I had all their records. And then Hepcat. I mean, everybody loved Hepcat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Something's wrong with you if you didn't have Hepcat, <laughs> you know, right? Everybody get... loves Hepcat in the scene. <laughs> yeah, they're like the top band, you know, they're awesome. They yeah. had that 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 sound. You know, yeah. That was a great yeah. show. Yeah, fully agree. And then I think I think the last time that we might have worked together on a show, a yes Scott show, because David obviously we worked together on Rico, but but Junior, if, if you would scoot over, there we go. This show here. <clears throat> I'm gonna, I'm gonna show. When you bring the, um, I'm gonna bring it here. A little show and tell. Sorry, sorry for our listeners, but um, Reagan Nucleus Magazine. It was, it was our sixth anniversary concert, and this was in November of 2000. Uh, Joey Altruda All Stars. He had Ken Lazarus playing with him. I think he actually had Santa Davis play some drums at that show. Yeah. Uh, you guys, C Spot. Uh, pretty, pretty amazing. So this, if this was in November of 2000, then, then it was one of your later shows right if, if you guys yeah. disbanded sometime in 2001 yeah i don't think fredo was in the band at that time already okay oh that's your last fredo <laughs> i don't care who you play with over the world that was that was pretty amazing yeah um so so a, a few follow-up questions from the conversation with junior then a few additional ones that universal amphitheater show I actually worked at Universal Amphitheater, and I was not responsible for putting you guys on the. Uh, on the no, con- we know who we know who was. Okay. I, I, I had a big thing about it, like put us on the main stage. There was a cancellation, and they had a spot. I remember to this day. So, and- so who who was the headliner though inside? Do you remember? I'm curious because because I, I I'm wondering Trulio? if I was there. Oh, truly. I think it was Trulio. They were on that bill, but there was a lot of other rock and Okay. 
Okay. I, I honestly don't remember. Yeah, I I, I must have missed that. I, I, I'm kicking myself. It was me. called what the thing is, is that I saw the poster of that show on social media a while back. It was the artist became more well known later on. And like that poster for the show is like a collective. You mean you mean the visual artist became more well known? Yeah, they, they made a really cool poster for the show. And like that poster is like in a museum now. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Like, yes, got it. Yeah, it's. I, I, forget, I have I it inside, Yeah. You do? Okay. My I'll, 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 over the years. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, it was called Big Top Locos. Was the yeah. name of the show, and uh, yeah, it's like a picture of Zapata. Was it Maria on Fatal it. on there? Yeah, I think so. so I'm writing this down. Big Top Locos. Okay. Yeah, That's I'm cool. sure if you Google that, it, it will it would probably come. Yeah, up. I will. I will check that out. Um, <clears throat> so yes, got released a couple of full length albums, right? And then there was there was the single that you had on on or the tune that you had on Steady Beat compilation and then you had the um uh, the Greyhound, right? Uh, 45. Um is that is that correct as far as released music? Yeah, we had we had uh the 7-inch. Yep. was our first like release as our own, you know. And then I think before that we were on the Scothentic compilation. Yep. And we were also on some Moon Ska compilations. Okay. Um, that were different recordings. Um, we were on. I'm trying to remember the name of it, because Moon Ska had was putting out a lot of compilations. Sure. Son of Scarmageddon, I think it was called. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then I think we were on another one. Um, something about hot something. I don't remember. Okay. We were on a couple of those. <clears throat> so those were all different releases. Wow. And then we did the our solo record. Yeah. That's oh the, yes, uh, yes, yes. I, I have that in my Graham, collection. Graham. Yeah. Yeah. A, a King Taco. <laughs> the, the taco place on Atlantic. We used to go there after rehearsals because there was fifty cent tacos. Right, right, right. And uh, oh, great. So yeah, and then we did the full length records, God for yep. Cuban Jazz, and then we did another full length record called The Cover Up, which never got released in the U.S. Okay, only in that, France. Only in Europe, yeah. The label was was on, you know, its last dying legs, and we yeah. kind of saw that. Right. And we had all we had original music, but we didn't want to give it to them because we knew the label was going to go under. So we did a covers, and so we called it the cover up. And it was kind of funny because they didn't know we were doing this. Right. Right. And we had, are we? They wanted someone else to produce, and we said no. We got our own producer, and we ended up getting. Uh, uh, Aron Sarfati, a, a great drummer, to produce. And we, we did, you know, all these covers as like Latin ska tunes, like some jazz standards. We did some Latin covers. But we did the Yesca style or Yesca <laughs> treatment, so it sounded like us. But it was kind of like, okay, here's we're fulfilling our contract, you know, so we can move on because you guys are going under. And they actually went under before it got released in the U.S. Wow. And, 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 got, and these are... Totally different songs that were on your than that than the ones that were on the Scapro Cuban Jazz. Right. Okay. Wow. A whole separate record. Yeah. A yeah. Whole, a whole record. Like I don't even have a copy. Fredo has a copy. I, I, I have a friend. Well, through all my travels, I, so I've learned. I, I mean, I've walked in into restaurants hearing Yeska in Europe. There was one time I don't know where I was, like the Netherlands or something, and I, right. I walk in and I hear and I hear. Eh, eh. I was like. Wait a minute, dude. Are you serious? Like, <laughs> it, it, That's really cool. It, it, comes, wow. it, it turns out that a lot of these compilations were released in Latin America, and this that other mm -hmm. album was released in 
uh, in Europe, but a lot of the people that were paying attention to our music that we didn't even know that was happening, you know, they've put them all on YouTube, you know, so yeah. you can actually find those songs on YouTube and that no. album, but physical yeah. copies, like, I, mm -hmm. so I was going to say, I had a friend, I was, I was like, hey, you you live in France. I'm like, can you order this? Because I can't seem to order it. He's like, yeah, how many do you want? I'm like, just a couple. He's like, I'll order all of them. And he like ordered like 10 of them and sent them to me. And I, uh, I still have a copy, Dave. But yeah. I, was like, I, was like, <laughs> I would love to see one. I don't, I've never had I was like, here's the physical copy. copy of that, of the cover up record that nobody had. So CD? The CD, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. But we had a, you know, we had a, a good time doing that record. I remember because Fredo yeah. came back from the Beastie Boys tour. Yeah. And we had rehearsed when Fredo wasn't even there, like learning. Like I, I did pretty much all the arrangements, I think, except for one. And we rehearsed all this music. And then Fredo came back from tour and we had like, I think a week. And so we did a couple of rehearsals and then we went into the studio and recorded that record. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then I think after that is when we went to Europe. And yep. we did the Montreux Jazz Festival and all right, that okay. kind of stuff. It was kind of a crazy, busy time, but we had uh, same thing. I think we recorded it in two days. You know, all together. Right. You know, what one to two takes, and bam, bam, next. Yeah, if you mess up, that's what's going on the record. Don't mess <laughs> up. And 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 what was it? What, how did you choose what <clears throat> what songs to cover? Some of the songs we were already playing. Okay. So uh, it was kind of an easy pick, you know, yeah. because. Like I was saying earlier, we played a lot of different kinds of shows and we played like some Latin jazz kind of shows. Like we would do the Latin jazz caravan, which was a thing put on by the jazz station in LA at that time called KLON, now called K Jazz. Oh, yeah. And so we were on some of those shows. So we, we had some more Latin jazz kind of songs that we would play on those kind of shows. So uh, we did like a, a, a Cachao song, Agosar Timbero, mm -hmm. which was mm -hmm. like on a famous uh, Descarga one of his Descarga records and we, right. I kind of rearranged it into a bigger, you know, horns and stuff like that. And then uh, we did a uh, Tintindale, which is like yep. a jazz standard. Dizzy Gillespie, John Oposo. And then we did, uh, uh, what's, what's another song we did? We did a, a George Benson tune called Eternally that the guitar players picked out. Uh, Joey Kraut, he picked out that song. So we were all kind of like, well, well yeah. you know, let's pick some songs that we really like mm -hmm. and enjoy. Because on the first record, we did Cantaloupe <laughs> Island, the Herbie yep. Hancock song. And that came about because Friday, the, the record Neckbone. label. Yeah, well, Fried Neck Bones we did for the second record, the cover-up. So that's actually on the cover-up record, Fried Neck Bones. That's Is it not? It's, so it's not on uh, Scott from Cuban <clears throat> No. It's on the second record. So I know it's floating around on YouTube. Sometimes you can see it, but that's not on Scaffold Cuban Jazz. The only cover on Scaffold Cuban Jazz is Cantaloupe Island. Because the record label, we were actually yeah. like right. a couple of days yeah. before the studio. We went into the studio. The label called me and they said, you know, <clears throat> one of the guys who worked there was kind of impulsive. I'm just going to say that he would get these ideas. OK, you guys got to do a cover, you know, and he wanted to, us to do like a Herb Albert tune. And we didn't want to do Herb Albert because we never really listened to Herb Albert. <laughs> we said, you know, we don't connect with this. Why are we going to record the song? We have originals like right. you signed us. You didn't sign Herb Albert, right? He says, no, but it'll be recognizable, like a business thing. So we said, well, let us pick another tune. And, you know, Cantaloupe Island was kind of popular because there yeah. was the Us, Us Three version. And we yeah. said, you know, people know this song. Let us do <clears throat> this. And so we did, you know, I, I kind of came up with some horn lines and we figured it out in rehearsal together like the night before we went to the studio 
I remember still coming up with horn lines. And then we added some vocals on it that the percussionist uh, came up with, Long John Oliva, who, who passed away. But he wasn't even supposed to be on the record. And, you know, Long John Oliva had played with big, great Latin jazz. He used to play, he had played with Dizzy Gillespie. He had played with, you know, Arturo Sandoval. And he was in his band touring for years. And, you know, he... He comes from a long line of, of rumberos in Cuba. His dad was a famous percussionist as well. And so uh, I was playing with his band at the time, and the percussionist who was supposed to be on the Scapa Cuban jazz record, who had came to all the rehearsals, flaked. Oh, yeah. The first day of the session, <clears throat> didn't show up. He, he dropped off his congas, and then we don't know what happened to him. Wow, that's crazy. So we recorded the first day with no percussion. And then they were... Uh, Long John was supposed to was playing that night, and I sent us. I was like, I can't make it because I'm recording with my band because I was playing. In the, and so we said, Listen, I let's get Long John. I play in his band. He's playing tonight. So after we finished recording, we went to Luna Park, uh, the club Luna Park in West yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. He was playing, and we talked to him. I said, Look, you gotta help me out. Our percussion is flaked. We gotta record. You know, like the next day or so. Like we have one day of recording or something or two days. Can you help us? He's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> he was like super cool guy. And uh, yeah, he came in and just killed it. Wow. And he added a whole other dimension to the sound too. Because I'm sure. He was I'm like sure. the real deal. Like this yeah. guy is like, you know, he used to play with Bata Cumbele from Puerto Rico, which is another huge Latin jazz group. And so he added all these other rhythms and stuff that, you know, was kind of above our level <laughs> at the time. And, and, and like, we're like, when we did Cantaloupe Island, we said, let's add like a vocal thing because they wanted vocals. You know, yeah. An instrumental band and all of a sudden they wanted vocals, right? So he kind of came up with the little vocal part and, you know. Well, I, I, I'm telling you, you, you guys are the epitome of, of, of that appropriately titled Scafro-Cuban jazz sound. And, and, and I, and David, you know this, but I, I played a lot of the tracks off that when I had my radio show, uh, Havana Kingston connection on, on Kalo and K jazz. And, right. um, you know, I just couldn't, couldn't get enough of that. And I guess to that, to that point on the Havana Kingston connection, I've always been fascinated about the connection between Cuba and Jamaican music. And, and David, you did a nice little video piece for, um, um, uh, for us. Um, brilliant. Yeah. Really fascinating. But, but so this question comes from my other, partner in, in, in music, Sean, uh, Rockery Sean, because um, one thing that he and I have always wondered, and you guys touched on this a little bit earlier when you talked about the music that you listened to growing up, and then and then some of the um, some of the more Latin and uh, and also jazz sounds from the guys that came from um, K, uh, PCC, but do you think that there's, so are there similarities in the sound and rhythms that you heard and felt in traditional ska recordings to the music that you grew up listening to, maybe from your parents or grandparents, uh, maybe some of the more Latin oriented sounds, because we're wondering if there's a deeper connection to the traditional Jamaican ska because of the way that that resonates from a familiar place, if that makes sense. So like, Fred, you had said that you, you didn't listen, you didn't know ska, right? Growing up. Well, uh, gr growing up, no, I mean, I my. I mean, he's got the Bob Marley hat, and I, I remember the, the album Uprising in my house, like, you know, constantly, and I love that record, but I never made that actual connection up to what the difference, you know, what 
the different genres where until I had listened to it or had to practice it, you know, or 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 I saw it, you know, at, at our talent show. I had never. Right. I, I was, you know, it, I had somebody had to give me the tape to even know about it, you know, and it wasn't until then they're like, oh, we're playing all this type of music, and then like now I was immersed in it and loving it, and like, yeah, for me there's definitely a connection and uh, to that style of music where it just felt it was it was a feel good feel good type of thing you know and and it just i think it made us all happy you know like yeah, can I, did, and it, yeah go ahead no i was gonna ask did you also grow up listening to um latin latin rhythms like in your house yeah like my, on the weekends my dad would play uh was it uh, uh 88.9 or kcrw it was alma del barrio uh-huh, uh-huh. so it was like straight it's like like saturday or sunday morning i forgot but i just remember like I'd wake up to the smell of, of bacon and, and pancakes, and then I'd, I'd hear, you know, I'd be waking up, and you, right, my right, dad yeah. has a, a music on, but I, you know, I, I naturally gravitated to it, you know, I didn't, I didn't mind it, I didn't go like, what are you listening to, it was just like, kind of like, oh, this is cool, you know, and, and I didn't, you know, I, I didn't grow up listen to, listening to the traditional, well, through my grandparents, traditional Mexican music, and boneros, and corridos, and like, you know, but I, it was more it was more the the caribbean and you know the, okay. the whole like afro latin side of music that i was listening to more right you know uh, on top of my dad playing rock and roll and pete townsend and the beatles and Lobos. <laughs> yeah and yeah. then you know going to school then i was getting the punk rock and then i live i you know i'm, I'm neighboring compton so i'm getting all the nwa records and oh right yeah up. so you know all that i think all of us were 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 absorbing all of that all of us that lived in la you know, where we were getting all those different things, but then when we were playing this style of music, you know, it. I think it. it I think it took us all by surprise, where we were just like, "Wow, we love this, and we want to like keep creating this," because it just felt natural, you know. Yeah, D- D- David, what about you? I, you know, growing up, I listened to a lot of jazz because my grandfather was a huge jazz fan. And, you know, he was around in the Central Avenue days and he, oh, would, wow. tell me, he would tell me stories about, wow. you know, going down and seeing, you know, Lester Young and Sarah Vaughn. And Bernie all Andrews. And yeah. yeah, everybody who who played down on Central Avenue, you know, and uh, yeah, Ernie Andrews, I, I got to play with him. Uh, years back. Yeah. That was an awesome. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, um, yeah, so. I listened to, you know, when I first started playing sax, you know, I told him I'm going to play saxophone and he was really happy and he bought me like a Shoe Berry record and Coleman Hawkins. You know, his favorite song was Body and Soul, you know, from Coleman Hawkins. I li- used to listen to that and, you know, Ellington and, you know, all that traditional kind of jazz. And so when I started listening to ska music, you know, it struck a chord because it's all that jazz influence from sure. the satellites. Like, yeah. you know, I first started listening to the two-tone stuff, which... I liked because, you know, I was into like punk rock music for a while and like that was close to that sound. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was it was kind of an easy transition. But also since I played saxophone, I can really connect with the music. You know, like I can associate myself with it more because there was horns. And, you yeah. know, all the other music I was listening to when I was a kid, hip hop and any kind of dance music, whatever I was into before mm-hmm. on my own, apart from what my family listened to, <clears throat> it didn't have horns in it. Interesting. So when I when I listened to Sky, I was like, "Wow, I can connect with this." Because yeah, yeah. I play saxophone, right? You know, because I wasn't playing jazz really outside of school. And then you know, my mom listened to basically like 
black American music. You know, that's what I grew up listening to, soul, R&B, mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. So also, like, the connection listening to ska music, you know, they were really influenced by all the soul artists and, you know, all the American singers. So I would hear, you know, some songs that, you know, I recognized, but done as a ska version. And so it all kind of, like, touched all these points, all these musical points for me, like, that I really got into. And, uh, you know, and then just L.A., like, the scene. Like, it was sure. something I can kind of connect yeah. with. You know, yeah. when you're young, like, you want to connect to something. And, like, being able to connect. And I was, like, playing this music, and I saw other bands playing. And, you know, I liked the style of clothes. And, and it was just like a whole thing that I just really got into. You know, I was able to connect with, and it kind of, like, became my identity for, like, quite a few years, you know? Yeah, well, th- th- and that's actually a good segue to the next question is, what's unique and special about the LA ska scene? Because it is, it is unique, especially compared to a lot of other, let's call it American, uh, you know, us, you know, other cities. Well, I think, I think there was so many sounds that came out of LA because LA is such a diverse city and it's a big city. And there's so many people from outside of LA that come to LA. So all these different sounds came out. Like there was like, what we did was was more like of, of the Afro-Cuban ska jazz sound. And then you had like the, the traditional sounds like Hepcat, you know. And then you had like, uh, you know, Mobtown who had their own sound. You mm-hmm. know, then you would yeah. have like, uh, you know, the the more oh, traditional, okay. say like Rocksteady groups, you know. And like Ocean would we'll do really good Rocksteady stuff that no one else kind of played. That was kind of their thing. And like, you know, I played in the Israelites for a while and he, he right. kind of did that certain style of Jamaican ska too. And, and you know, so it was, there was all these different sounds. And, and what was great about LA is that there were a lot of places to play. And I think that Lewis uh, with Steady Beat had a big part in the scene. I think if it wasn't for Lewis, I don't think all of these bands would have even had somewhere to play because he did right. so many shows. Yeah. And there were so many shows. And then, you know, he would do a show at a club you know, I remember this happened at the Alligator Lounge in Santa Monica, which is no longer there. He no. did a show at the Alligator Lounge. <clears throat> the owner said, wow, the club is packed. So then started doing shows, but without Lewis. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. But booking the same bands. And like we would play there like once a month. Um, it was basically another Sky show, but without Lewis involved. Right. And so other club owners started seeing that there was a scene and there was like yeah. a hunger and people were going out. So <laughs> other clubs started booking the same bands, you know, like right. Luna Park. Yeah. I mentioned earlier was another place we used to play a lot. Yeah, I saw you there, right? Yeah. Been right. There. And Jump with Joey would play there. You know, Mentor Brew from Bakersfield would play yep. there. Yeah. And you know, it was it was a lot of places to play. So I think that all these bands had an outlet, you know, and yep. they were able to form their own sounds and, and you know, it was even, you know, there was an Orange County influence and then there was the inland empire there was spankies out there mm-hmm. uh the showcase theater right we played that a few times you know so there were bands from outside of like la proper that would come into la and play also so debonairs right like it was the place in, in oh. my opinion you know for sky it was like the yeah. biggest scene it was bigger than san diego and you know all the other neighboring big cities yeah you know? well that's, uh, that's I, I the biggest that's... in the country yeah and then you know LA bands would travel, you know, like we did some touring, you know, even within the Western U.S. So we would travel out of the city 
other hepcat was going all over on, around the world like we were like exporting the sound that, <laughs> right. that we had in town you know and like musicians were going back and forth between bands you know sometimes some guys would play in more than one band you know a guy would start in one band and then now he's playing hepcat and then another guy from this band is playing in this other band so right, right. it's kind of became a community yeah and a, and a, and a family yeah, yeah. And so, so to that to that uh, front um fredo uh, what does it mean to you to be involved and, and soon to be interviewed um, in the uh, documentary Steady Beat film, talking about Lewis and Steady Beat? I mean, that it's pretty awesome because I think it was it, it's something that we are part of that when you're involved and in just doing it, you're not expecting it to be where we're at now, right? You just you're in the moment, you're doing what you're doing, you're gonna go play. And now we're talking about you know the history of it and it's it feels great it feels good to talk about it because it's you know we're all we're all growing gray hairs now so it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it's nice it's nice to see that uh be recognized you know mm -hmm. uh, and to to let people that had probably never caught wind of it be like oh wow there was a scene well, again i mean you look at la now it's like there's no scene of anything you know places to play but i mean i'm so detached from it that i don't even know what's going on in mm -hmm. la but you know I, I see little bars happening but that time you know of playing with everybody and everything that that <laughs> lewis did and and put all these bands on i mean i yeah it was a community i mean like coming down to gogo bordello like oliver was in ocean 11 and i used to watch him going like man that yellow yamaha snare that he had sounds badass and little did i know that i'd run into him and in, in in brazil and he's like hey i'm leaving this band he should be, he should be the drummer and this is like years later you know i was like yeah so that that family that connection like i knew him from that scene you know on top of that we were drummers but i'm like man like we didn't have to grow up with each other it was just yeah. that scene, it, you know? it is pretty it, that is pretty fascinating and amazing and actually that's a good great another great segue no lie to my next question here about oliver so so much like oliver not only just because of the Gogo Bordello connection and obviously the connection to, to the ska scene, but, but both of you play various styles of music, right? I mean, you've been, you, we touched on the different bands that you were in. Is it difficult to transition and to, 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 is it difficult to be so talented? For, I don't know. Um, but, well, but it, well, it, I mean, if you show your colors and people are like, oh, you can do that, they're going to expect you to do that. So you got to, got to back it up you know and and my experience with yeska was learning all this style of music so now right. i had that under my belt you know i had the villains that was the punk rock side you know and then some of us went to ozamatlios and like i mean that was also a mixture but seeing somebody play tablas and have a dj in your band and then i'm incorporating you, you had some hip-hop experience with the beastie boys and, yeah, and then, then the beastie boys so it's like you know all the bands i ended up playing for kind of had all this mixture yeah you know? and now gogo bordello is like a big you know example where that you know they'll they'll be like four bars of ska you know one drop right. or you know whatever and then they'll go into punk rock and then they'll go back into the gogo bordello thing and it's like wow. and i kind of i just had that sense i just I've, I've always had a sense of like okay this is how it goes this is how i think it's supposed yeah. to yeah yeah and feeling it and knowing it and everybody's like oh yeah fredo could do it i'm like okay I'll, and i go in going like yeah i'll try it you know like hope it comes out right <laughs> how many how many years did you play with uh, google so that was five years, five years, five okay. years. And then, and, you know, we, we, we kind of, uh, we were slowing down at the end of 2019. Last show was in Mexico, December of 2019. 
yeah and then uh, we were we weren't we were gonna commence in like what it was like may april or may and that's when everything kind of shut down yeah and now Corey, right Corey's. and now, now Corey's in the Corey, middle Corey kingston's playing with them oh, wow. yeah I didn't know that. oliver Fredo and, and Corey, yeah, I mean, and, and, and me and Corey were 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 jamming, and David too were were in Western Standard Time, right? So yeah, we were kind of all around Not each other. Left music, no, no, no. Corey keeps active, yeah, yeah. Right? And I and I, you know, I, I mean, I'll let him tell you the story, but I think Corey was already talking to Eugene about Gogo Bordello before I came into the picture. Okay, you know, and then when I went and like. Uh, met them in brazil and saw oliver and like you know then i guess whatever things changed you know but it's, a, yeah. it's like hey Corey, like you know <laughs> the, the gig's open he's like yeah all right and all of a sudden he's like no i'm doing it i was like all right cool and, and yeah. he's, not, he's a perfect perfect fit man because he's yeah. another drummer who knows a lot of those styles yeah like, yeah he can go jazz he can go punk rock he can go do some yeah stuff he's, and, he's, he's, he's but i'm embarrassed i've never heard of uh that band go go banana that's all right we'll, 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 i'll take you to the next yeah. time <laughs> what style a wild, wild style. <laughs> no, uh, you they, they call it gypsy I, punk, but it, 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 I mean, we even incorporate some cumbia and some Latin, and like yeah, you know, everybody in the band is from somewhere. The bass player from Ethiopia, the percussionist from Ecuador. Uh, there was a singer and dancer in the band. She was Chinese, but from Scotland. You know, it was like a, a multicultural <laughs> band, like you know, also Motley. You know, it was like, uh, a real nice spectacle to see live. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's a question uh, for both of you from fellow musician Matt Munoz of Mintoburu, who you mentioned. Um, what are some lessons that you've learned from <clears throat> the bands outside of Yeska that you played with, right? So, so, so David, you know, whether it's Poncho Sanchez or War, what are some lessons that you'd like to share um, from learning uh, or that you've learned, you know, from, from playing uh, along, along the way here? I think the biggest one is to just always be ready mm. because you never know what's going to happen. Like musically, you know, be on top of uh, your game, you know, on your instrument. Because like whenever I got like big breaks in my career, it was always just a phone call. It wasn't like, oh, in three months you're going <laughs> to play or we want you to play. It was like, hey, two days from now. Be ready. Stage. Yeah, so I think being ready and, you know, as a musician, always practicing and being on top of your game is, is kind of where it's at. And, yeah. and you know, back when we were talking, what you guys were talking about earlier and, and like being in L.A. again, I think it's part of if you're a pro professional musician in L.A., you kind of have to be able to play a bunch of different styles because there's so many scenes in L.A. and there's so many different bands and to, you know, to work as a musician. You got to be open to a lot of different styles and sure. to a lot of different people yeah. and cultures and musics. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it kind of comes with the territory. But I think that was probably one of my biggest lessons is to to be ready and to be open, open minded. Open like, yeah, being open yeah. is the main main lesson. Like you can't be, I only do this style. Especially like you, like Dave's saying, if you want, if you're getting into it to be a musician and to kind of, you know, do, be a pro at it, then you need to know. As much as you can, and I, you know, I, I was gonna throw in. It's like I, I never, I never said no to an opportunity, and 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 even if I didn't think I could do it, I still right. said yes, and I put myself to the test. And if it, if I passed, I passed. If I didn't, then on to the next thing. Because those are the biggest lessons, you know. And this whole, this whole thing was just like, 
yeah but put yourself to the test you know yeah you have to put yourself out there because you don't know if you're ready until you try it really. yeah I mean, I mean i mean no one's ever really ready <laughs> if, if, if you're trying to wait till you're ready to do something yeah. Never you're really. not going to be ready. You're never going to do it, right? I mean, so yeah, and then, and then life will pass you by. Yeah, you just kind of have to say, well, this is where I am right now, and I'm going to go for it. And if I make it, okay. If I don't, well, I know what to work on. Yeah, you know, and and like being able to play under like musicians who are a lot older than me and a lot more experienced taught me like a lot of lessons on, you know, how to play on stage, how to deal with certain things when you're traveling on the road. I'm sure Fredo's been in a lot of situations you know they always say like playing is the easy part music is the easy part all the other stuff that comes around playing is the hard part yeah you know dealing with all that other stuff whether it's the business or traveling yeah. other or, other distractions other yeah. pressures personalities because you're, you're, you're now, now you gotta you know you gotta you gotta be brothers with your, your the person sitting next to you you know and that and if you're not, then that makes it difficult on you, you know, of course, in any family situation, but especially with music, it's like you become like, you know, everybody kind of says it, but yeah, you do become like a family because you're there. If you're touring, you're all, you're there every day. Right. You're seeing the same yeah. people, you're sitting next to them on the van or right. you're sleeping under the bunk and the guys on top of you. Like, and, I mean, but the difference is like, you know, like say, yes, we kind of chose who was in the band. Like, let's try this person. Oh, right. he didn't work. Let's try this person. Okay. They work. But in those other situations, you don't choose. They call you, do you want to do this gig? Okay, you, yeah. then you don't choose who else is on the band. They're already there, you know? Yeah. And so you kind of have to adjust yourself to make it work within the situation that you're in, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And people can be from way different backgrounds than you. You know, there's an age thing. You know, Fredos plays with older musicians with Los Lobos now. You know, when I was in war, a lot of the, I'd say everybody was a lot older than me. You know, even though I wasn't that young per se, but I was like the young guy, yeah, yeah. Right. you know, and, and like I was like the kid in a way. But, you know, but you also learn from that. You know, you, you're playing. I used to play with with a percussionist, uh, Francisco Agoya, until, Ooh, yeah. until he passed away. And, you know, he was in I think it was 91 when he passed away. And so when you play with all another thing, playing with older musicians is they have all this history behind them and like these lessons that you learn. From these guys because they were doing it before i was born <laughs> you know and you know if they tell you hey you should do this then like we were saying you got to be open to hearing that yeah criticism or Absolutely. don't do that <laughs> okay <laughs> so you try not to do it you know obviously with time some things change right and you have to be yourself too but you know it's, it's yeah. one of those things where you, you can learn from all these other people that you're around. Yeah. Uh, David, talk about youth. Um, you, you teach, right? You, you uh, talk about, uh, didn't you recently start a, um, uh, a youth music center? I did. I had, I, I don't do that anymore. Okay. I did it for, uh, I think it was about two years during the time I was, I was in war actually, but it, it was kind of difficult to keep things going because mm -hmm. I was, my schedule was changing so much that it was just something I kind of had to yeah. stop doing. I mean, when I was in, I started teaching when I was in college, I was like a teacher assistant. And right. then I taught for a short time, uh, like almost a full year. And then I stopped, I got the Poncho Sanchez gig. Like he called me and then I was like, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I quit, but you know, I had like substitute 
was a substitute teacher for a little bit when I got out of school uh, part-time. So I was always into education, and even now, I, you know, once in a while I have some private students. Not so much anymore, right. but for a long time I did that, you know. And, uh, yeah, so I've always kind of been interested in education and passing down information and yeah. having other uh, up-and-coming musicians because people did that with me. Of course, I had yeah. Some older guys that took me under their wing and said, "Hey, hey, you know, taught me stuff." I would ask them questions. They would, you know, I'm still playing with some people that are, that are that way with me. Very hey, hey, forward. Well, right. Jim, you joked about this earlier, but, 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 it, but, it's actually a valid question. Is so are, are, are the youth, um, seeing the importance of playing real instruments? This is a general question, but I mean, but, 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 what, what, what do you guys think as far as, um. We talked about this. Was it with Aton or, or with uh, with Ted or what, what, we talk about it with everyone? Well, yeah, I'm I'm just curious from, from, concern, from your opinion. Goes to yeah. I mean, I mean, seeing. I mean, recently we played at uh, Citrus Clouds with Los Lobos and the high school band. I mean, they were all. It was, it was at least like a forty piece mariachi group. Wow, you know, amazing! And, and there was like you know three or four guitarron players and boys and girls yeah. and like. And I'm like, oh man, these guys are are handling it. Like, yeah, that's no, encouraging. That's a very you know, you know and, and they're seeing us play, you know, and they're, you know, they, it was a big break for them, you know. But I, it, it was like really awesome to see that, and which, which told me, and I'm like, okay, you know, education and the thought of, you know, Promising. doing that for, you know, for the passion of it, and maybe even for a living, yeah. you know, because I don't think any of us thought, you know, we weren't, we went to school like, you know, like they said, like to go come out of there with. You know, I was supposed to be a metallurgist. I was gonna pull, pull, pull metal and find its tensile strength. You know, for twenty bucks an hour. You know, but instead, I wanted to. Never, never too late. Never too late. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kind of related. I was like, nothing oh, is make, wrong with that. You I can make symbols. I can make symbols, right? Because I work in metals. And yeah, there you, you go. Know, right. It's, it's all relative, you know. But yeah. it's like, yeah. you know, seeing that. I and you know, and a lot of the groups that are coming out of East Los and like Tropa Magica and the Sinceres that are doing like yeah. old school, like oldie style. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. LA music and they're 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 pushing on man. It, it sounds really good. It sounds authentic and you know, mm -hmm. I don't I don't I don't think I'm hearing. I mean that this is not tuning Yeska's horn, but like the creation that we did. Like I don't see anybody morphing. They're kind of doing like really like they're keeping it pure, you know, to whatever style they're playing. You know? oh. But but then again, it's like they're they're still you know they're they're they're. Uh, refining their musicianship and i you know a lot of those guys have come up to me you know for advice and you're like man you you tour all over the world and of course, yeah. you, you know it's like I, I remember asking danny carey from tool because he used to go to the ymca where i was a desk attendant and my dad was like why don't you ask when you know you're the famous guys what you need to do on tour because you're going with the beastie boys you know you got to be uh, professional yeah. and yeah. so i asked him i was like hey so you know i'm going on, on tour with the beastie boys you know like got any advice he's like He's like, yeah, I eat really good and get lots of sleep. And I'm like, that's it's it. Very strong <laughs> advice. <laughs> Great you advice. Got anything exciting to tell me? <laughs> you know, but he was right. He was right. That's where it's he, at. Sleep is absolutely eat. right. <laughs> Being able to make it through. Yeah. And play, play the show. Yeah. Yeah. As, as far as that, like uh, with the youth, I think the difference now is that when I was young, there was school music programs in a lot yeah. of schools that's you know cool. that's how i was able to play saxes because the school lends me a saxophone otherwise i would not have been able to afford a saxophone like mm -hmm. i didn't get a, a saxophone until like i was in college 
that was my own, you know, when I graduated. So, you know, being having having that opportunity that there's a school program where you can get an instrument and you can learn is a huge thing. Yeah. And over the years, they've kind of taken those programs out of the schools little right. by little. And what's left is like a lot less than, say, what was there before. Yeah, that makes you know, sense. Because with budget cuts and whatnot, you know. So I, I always say, though, like, if someone is an artist, they're going to make art with whatever medium they have. So, you know, whether it's with instruments like we made music with or and still do, or if it's with a computer and, uh, you know, they're programming stuff and doing electronic music because they're going to do that because that's what's available to them, right? And that's what they have access to. Yeah. And that's what's easiest. Right. You know, for me, it was sax because I got it from the school. So that's kind of what mm -hmm. I did, right? Yeah. But when I was young, when I was, I think, like around 13, I wanted to be a DJ. Like I was like in this party crew and I would like take records and the guy would let me spin and stuff. And like I was into that, but there was no way I could afford all that equipment to be like a DJ, you know. And so I was just like, well, whatever. When I got into high school, I just never didn't even think about it anymore. And then but back to my original point is if you have access to something, that's what you're going to do. So everybody now you get laptops from your school. You can make music on a laptop really easy now which didn't exist when we were doing it. Yeah. To record, we used to have to go to a studio. Right. And it was like this threshold, you know. So you had to be good enough to be able to record in the studio before you even recorded. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then even there was that other threshold of like, okay, if you want to put out your music, it wasn't like self-releases back then. Like someone had to believe in you and say, hey, we like this band or this artist and we're going to put your music out. But now that threshold doesn't exist. You know, True. if if I That's if I want to put something out on my own and say I'm 18, I can record it at my house, go on the computer, upload it, and it's out everywhere. Yeah. True. Which, you know, I think for some in some ways it's great. It's awesome, but in other ways maybe not so much. <laughs> because yeah. I think sometimes artists come out before they're developed. I think there yeah. needs to be more True. development. True. Like yeah. what what we had as a band, mm -hmm. I think, was special in the sense that we had so much development time before we even recorded something that came out. Because we had already played together for years right. and had tons of shows and live shows and tons of mistakes after mistakes after mistakes. Like, there's been some videos that have surfaced from us back in the day, like, I don't know, like 94, 95, and I've watched them, and I'm like, wow. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad there's not more, right? you know, because those are just gone, right? But now everything is recorded on a phone, and oh, man. everything's documented, right? So it, I think there's a big difference in the way musicians are coming up now than the way we came up. I think it's in some ways it's harder now because everything you do is documented, like, I made tons of mistakes and sounded horrible, but no one can hear it now because there's no record of it, <laughs> right? And then some video surfaces, I'm like, oh, wow, okay. But I mean, that's where I was. I was a kid, but whatever. Course, but you know, but now it's like everything is documented. Everything is being recorded. Everything is being put out. So I think there's a, a big difference in the way youth uh, deals with music and instruments and the way we did. Yeah, you know, and now maybe how they conduct themselves on stage. 
right then that too you know, yeah yeah now, now you can see yourself you know i mean like now after every show i'm looking at who posted what just to kind of hear what it sounded like you know and and then sometimes i like catch myself I'm like no i don't want to hear it because i know i messed up and well i'm gonna i'm gonna send you a video that i took when i saw you at the greek theater with Lola. there you go i'll text it to you um so on on that note um any parting words any any new projects anything that you that we did not touch on that either of you want to share before we before we call it a night Fredo, we'll start with you uh, i mean i'm always record i did a, a my own solo thing called bongaloids and i put out a record in 2014 just because my dad wanted me to you know and then <laughs> he's like you should put out a record so i you know i wrote my own but i'm kind of always working on that I'm waiting for the moment to like i mean like like Dave was talking about, I could be putting out singles or whatever songs, ideas, whatever, and build the catalog, you know. But that's one thing, you know. I, I have another group, uh, East LA Taiko, with my friend Maceo Hernandez, where we mix Japanese drumming with Latin oh, rhythms again here, you know. Well, that's cool. To 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 different. He's not Japanese, but he he went to Japan and studied the drum when he was a teenager, you know, and lived there for four or five years. And there's a documentary on him. But you know, we're we're melting those two cultures together. You know, and then um, Rough Church is another band I play here locally in in uh, L.A. with my friend Greg Franco and Caitlin Wolfberg and our old friend Dante Pascuzo, and we're constantly recording and putting out records. Very cool. Um, yeah. On Nocturnal Soul, I think is the record label, and um, and then Los Lobos, man, Los Lobos got me busy. It's a it's a trip, you know, not being able to work. It was nice being home, you know, but then you know I I went through the reality of like, okay, well, music had been most of my life you know and i've never really had to find that backup you know it's always been consistent but then the reality came we're like oh wow like i really need at the age i'm 46 now and i'm just like oh what's how long can i do this for you know and like you know i feel my limbs i feel the back and yeah yeah you know, luckily you know there's nothing serious seriously hindering my ability to do what i do you know and and now with seeing los lobos and watching them do their thing i mean those guys you know they're they're not young, you know, they're going, they're going to celebrate 50 years as a band next year. We'll talk about consistently good, man. Those yeah. guys just and they, they still shred, they still they rock, really you know, it's like, you know, so that's, you know, I'm, I'm grateful and thankful that I get the opportunity to continue to play and especially with my heroes, you know, it's like, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's amazing. And, and uh, listeners and viewers can find you on Instagram, right? I'm on Instagram under Fredo Ortiz, uh, also Bongoloids, B-O-N-G-O-L-O-I-D-Z. Um, I did, uh, uh, I'm still kind of building all my content, but there's a Fredo Ortiz music, uh, YouTube channel that I Great. did a couple of interviews and some videos here and there and Facebook as well. Fredo Ortiz. Okay. And Fredo Ortiz.com. <laughs> I, I, I finally de- I had a website before and I was like, I need another one. Do I? <laughs> I did it. So yeah. Fredo Ortiz.com. There's a lot of videos on there. Beastie boys, old 1990 six videos and stuff we did at festivals and... I'll, I'll check that out yeah, yeah for sure and, and david parting words yeah. um just that you know i still love jamaican music to this day and the ska scene was a big part of of who i am to this day and and helped me become who i eventually became as a musician as a person you know i met my wife through the ska scene i mean nice. <laughs> you know so i mean it's, it's it's a big part of my life and you know i always love it and treasure it you know splash 
<laughs> Lloyd Nibs. <laughs> yeah, Lloyd Nibs. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, weird. I'm still. I do a lot of recording still with other, with other people. I've been doing a bunch of TV stuff lately. <clears> you know, <throat> kind of in that scene. And and uh, yeah, um, I'm on social media. David Ukili Sachs is my handle on whatever I'm on, and uh, my website davidukili.com. And it, it says some of the stuff I've done and where you can hear me at. And and uh, as far as like Jamaican music in in during the pandemic time, you know, everyone stopped, as as you know, and I was kind of like, well, what do I do <laughs> musically? And I kind of started revisiting a bunch of old music that I had, like on my hard drive. And you know, over the years, I've I always write music. You know, I have an idea, I write it, I record it, and it just stays on my hard drive. And I had all these tunes that I built up over the years. I started going through that, and I said, well, that's kind of led me to the point where I am now, where I want to start releasing some of the stuff and recording stuff that I wrote I'm like well I have all this music that I never did anything with you know that I just had this idea you know, in my I was in my car one day or wherever I record it on my phone and come home and record it and you know so I actually got into a bunch of like dub reggae stuff oh nice you know and I recorded a bunch of stuff here at my house by myself because it was something I could do you know especially with technology right now you know so maybe I'll release that one of these days I, I probably should, uh, you know, and eventually do some like uh, land jam <clears> stuff on my own, which I used to do on my own after Yeska for a short time. Right, I had my I own remember, group yeah, yeah. and stuff, and I was working around town and then started touring, and I kind of stopped that. But, you know, getting back to that stuff, and, you know, hopefully some stuff will be coming out. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and congratulations again to you both, and thank you for. Thank you for Yeska, a band that, that has always meant so so much to me. And, and, and again, that, you know, you really capture that that amazing uh, combination of styles that I love so much. So, um, you know, we, we, we appreciate you making the time here, Junior. Yeah, yeah David, and Frida, the pride and joy of Los Angeles. <laughs> and people proud of you guys. They may not have, you know, had the opportunity to, to express it to you, but they really and truly. Yes. Yeah. People Thank probably. No, not not just. I mean, people in general are proud of you guys for your accomplishments. No, for sure. You know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I talked to a lot of people that you know, even that were influenced. I mean, there was a drummer right now that you know they used to l watch and listen to Yeska, and I was a drumming influence on him, Gil Sharon. You know, and he's oh yeah, you mm. know, he's Gil. out with uh, Jerry Cantrell right now, but he's played with Marilyn Manson and. Mm. put out his own like like um reggae and and dub like drum yeah. videos you know but he, he he would always come up to me and be like he's like yo man yes guy yes guy he's just all about yes guy I was like, yeah yeah we saw him uh <clears throat> early february he played with long beach double all-stars right yeah i saw that sounded yeah. great great guy so it's like, yeah. <laughs> all right I, I guess we reach our destination yes, we i guess all right well yeah thanks again thanks for your time thank you guys thank you. Mm -hmm. And uh, please follow us at History of Alaska on Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and join our Facebook group. Uh, please follow me at uh, Junior Francis. This series is produced by a good friend here, Eric Kohler, for the Rockery Radio. We want to thank everyone who take time out to watch and to listen. And people are only able to watch, so thanks for listening and watching. And follow us on Instagram account, your, your account. Yes, uh, at, at a History of L.A. Scott or um, at Rockery underscore radio. And mm -hmm. Junior, thank you as always for yes, thank you another always. amazing uh, session. Mm -hmm. David and Fredo, be good. Take care of yourselves. And thanks again, everyone. 
And uh, really appreciate everyone mm -hmm. watching and listening and all the support over the years as well. So. And you guys are the pride and joy of the day. <laughs> We're going to end on that. All right, guys. Take cool. care. All right. All See right. ya. See Thanks. ya. Bye.